How's it going, food eaters? This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. This is the 21st episode. The whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about what's in processed foods and beverages. And hopefully, with every episode, you'll also get a little lesson in food science and food history. What's on the table for today? This episode is dedicated to all the babies out there. They have to eat too, but their food choices are generally limited to breast milk or infant formula. Which is better? Is formula a new thing or has it been around for a while? Why the social battle between breast milk and formula? What's actually in infant formula? Are some better than others? What's the difference between the beginning and end of life? I'll address all these questions and more during the show. For those new to the podcast, here's some of my history. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for many years, I've had a fascination, some may call it an obsession, with processed foods, what's in those foods, and how they might be affecting our health. This is the only podcast that is devoted to looking behind the processed food curtain at all of those strange, unusual, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods stocked on the shelves of our grocery, box, and convenience stores. This is a 100% guaranteed free podcast. It won't cost you a penny, and I'll never beg for money. There are no sponsors or financial supporters All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and I refuse to help promote any business, commercial product, or organization. All I ask of you is to sit back and listen, to get informed, educated, and hopefully entertained. Let's get started. So the topic for today is infant formula, the laboratory version of human breast milk. Up front, I have to admit that I am definitely out of my comfort zone for in this show for a variety of reasons. First of all, I'm the wrong gender. What do I know about breast milk? I've never personally observed breastfeeding. And having no kids, I have absolutely no experience with preparing bottles for infant feeding. And quite frankly, I've never had an interest in this topic until this podcast came along. So why bother? Well, this subject is huge and affects millions, if not billions, of people on this planet. Plus, this podcast is all about processed foods and their ingredients. What can be more processed and unnatural than infant formula? It's a food that was designed in a laboratory and manufactured in a factory. Lastly, I like to learn new things, and this will be a challenge for me. I realize that many of you out there probably know a whole lot more about this subject than I do, but hopefully you'll accompany me patiently on this investigation and maybe we'll learn a few things together. Any adult that's been alive in the last 60 years is likely to have some familiarization with the raging battle that's been going on between the medical community and the manufacturers of infant formula. It's a battle that has waxed and waned for a long time. Sometimes the medical community has won out, other times the infant formula companies. The medical authorities claim that human breast milk is the healthiest source of food for babies. The infant formula companies claim that their products are effective and healthy substitutes for breast milk. Who's right? To start the investigation, as usual, I'm going to do a brief historical review, which will take us up to the 1950s. Underneath every modern controversy in human affairs, there are some roots to dig up to explain how we got where we are. 
I'm going to use a variety of resources, a few of which will be mentioned during the program, but if you're interested in the complete list, check out the show notes at the podcast website. Throughout recorded human history, and even before in archaeological records, there is ample evidence that breastfeeding was the primary means of nurturing newborns and older infants. The only exceptions were the cases where mothers died in childbirth or were, for some medical reason, unable to produce milk, or the mother's milk was tainted. The remedy in those cases was to use a wet nurse, a woman who breastfeeds another another's child. This was the practice from 2000 BC up until the 20th century. In those countries where slavery existed, such as the United States prior to the Civil War, many women were forced into the role of wet nurse. In non-slave societies, wet nurses were valued for their services, often earning a good living that way, and the more advanced societies even had rules and regulations governing the employment of wet nurses. For the unfortunate babies who could not be breastfed, they risked an early death. In their cases, they had to be nourished by dry nursing, also called hand nursing, in which breast milk from an animal was fed to them or they were given some homemade concoction. In any event, many babies before the mid-1800s died from starvation, that is the inability to be fed, or malnutrition, that is lacking essential nutrients, or by infection, um, either bacterial or fungal. That was the early life for newborns until artificial nipples and bottles were invented in the 1800s. In 1845, the New Yorker, Elijah Pratt, invented and patented a nipple made from India rubber, which was the first fully functional device. Newborns, for the first time, could latch onto these artificial nipples that simulated the human breast. However, the modern-day artificial nipple that could hold up to the rigors of bottle feeding wasn't manufactured until the early 1900s. In the same time period, nursing bottles were being developed. Charles Winship of Massachusetts patented the first glass nursing bottle in 1841. His design was unique in that it was placed on a mother's breast to deceive the baby into thinking that the milk was coming directly from the mother. Over the next century, nursing bottle inventions were a hot item. Interestingly, by the end of World War II, the U.S. Patent Office had issued over 230 patents for nursing bottles. After an effective delivery system was found, the next area of research was the creation of a substitute for breast milk for dry nursing that could sustain an infant without causing life-threatening conditions to develop. Over the course of the next hundred years, much effort went into that research with limited success. In 1867, when early invention was a liquid containing wheat and malt flour mixed with cow's milk, then cooked in the presence of potassium bicarbonate. It was billed as the perfect instant food. Well, it didn't last long. In 1867, Justice von Liebig, one of the most famous chemists of the 19th century in Europe, developed the first commercial infant formula called Soluble Food for Babies, which was sold in London. He claimed that his formula was virtually identical to that of mother's milk. By 1883, 
there were 27 patented brands of infant formula on the market. However, those formulas were considered to be emergency food for those babies who would otherwise starve, but they still lacked essential nutrients. So, babies continued to die from illnesses such as scurvy, rickets, and infections. Thomas Morgan Roch, America's first full-time professor of pediatrics, came up with an infant formula called the percentage method, which diluted cow's milk to make it more like human milk. Water, cream, and sugar, or honey, were added in precise amounts to make up for the losses of fat and lactose. The percentage method was taught to new mothers so they could prepare formula at home if they were unable to get the formula from a laboratory. This type of feeding was popular from 1890 to 1915, but went out of fashion due to its complexity and the arrival of the next innovation. The advancement of food science and food technology led to the creation of commercial evaporated milk in the 1910s. Not surprisingly, milk companies sponsored clinical trials showing that evaporated milk formula was just as good as breast milk. Of course, by that time, pasteurization was available as well as home ice boxes, so commercial formula made from evaporated milk became very popular, particularly among working mothers. By the late 1930s, evaporated milk formula was the number one infant food in the United States. By 1950, half of all babies were reared on that stuff. Then things really changed in the baby feeding industry, and controversy quickly followed. In the early 1900s, the chemist Alfred Bosworth studied the composition of several types of milk, including human milk. He got interested in developing an infant formula and came up with Similac, which is still around today, and that name stands for similar to lactation, Similac. In the early 1950s, Bosworth released a new formulation and concentration of Similac, which was marketed by Ross Laboratories. It quickly became the most popular product to replace mother's milk. Later, in the late 1950s, Mead Johnson introduced Emphameal, which stood for infant meal, and those two products dominated the marketplace for many years. Of course, in the 1950s, due to innovations in the processed food industry, the production and sale of processed foods exploded into American stores and into American homes. That was the heyday for industrial food when Americans embraced the variety and convenience of ready-to-eat products such as Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, 1952, Swanson TV Dinners in 1950, Cheese Whiz in 1952, Tang in 1959, and Diet Right Cola in 1958, to name just a few. Women were primed for ready-to-eat baby food. By the 1960s, commercial formulas grew in popularity, and by the mid-1970s, the reign of evaporated milk formulas was over. At that time, the percentage of women who nursed their infants was at an all-time low of 25%. This was due to the aggressive marketing campaigns by the major manufacturers of infant formula and by the public view that they were medically approved. 
To encourage acceptance, formula companies began to provide inexpensive or free formula to hospitals in ready-to-feed bottles, enabling the phasing out of hospital formula preparation rooms. Mothers who witnessed how well their newborns accepted these easily prepared formulas were often convinced to continue this practice at home. Also at that time, new mothers began viewing breastfeeding as dirty or unclean. As the result of the push to adopt formulas, by the 1970s, over 75% of American babies were fed with formulas, mostly the commercial variety. This was a huge change from the 90% of mothers in the 19th century that breastfed their babies. But then a marketing faux pas occurred in the late 1970s. With the decline of birth rates in industrialized nations, infant formula companies started advertising campaigns in third world countries to expand their customer base. Since sanitation was an issue in those countries, the mortality rate for infants increased dramatically. Plus, malnutrition was a problem since poor women tried to stretch the costly formula by diluting it. UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund, estimated that formula-fed babies living in disease-ridden and unhygienic conditions were up to 25 times more likely to die of diarrhea and four times more likely to die of pneumonia than breastfed babies. After an estimated 1.2 million deaths, there were vocal protests which called for an end to unethical marketing of infant formula in third world countries. Eventually, an international code of marketing of breast milk substitutes was created and adopted by the World Health Organization in 1981. And so the battle lines were drawn. The infant formula companies touted their products as an inexpensive, nutritious, safe, and readily available alternative to mother's milk, while pro-breastfeeding organizations like the La Leche League, the National Council of Churches, and the Infant Formula Action Coalition wage public awareness campaigns on the benefits of breastfeeding with the slogan, Breast is Best. Those campaigns eventually paid off since over the next 30 years, the percentage of infants being breastfed steadily climbed as well as the duration or number of months of breastfeeding. So what's the situation today? According to the Centers for Disease Control, in the year 2013, about 81% of women begin breastfeeding their babies at birth. Then about 52% of those babies were breastfeeding six months out. However, less than 31% were breastfeeding at the one-year mark. Now you might ask, where did the government, the United States government, stand during this controversy? Well, it seemed to take both sides, but the government definitely got more stringent with the formula companies. Prior to 1980, the infant formulas were proprietary, and products did not have to list ingredients and nutritional information. In late 1980, the Infant Formula Act was passed, an amendment to the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938. This new amendment mandated the FDA to enforce standards for infant formula to assure safety and adequate nutrition. Now, there were rules that all formula manufacturing companies had to follow. The formula companies started making a comeback in 1989 
when several companies, for example Carnation and Gerber, began advertising directly to consumers instead of only to healthcare professionals. Also, in the late 1990s, store brand infant formula started hitting the grocery store shelves, which were at significantly lower prices. But the pro-breast milk campaigns of the 1990s and 2000s began to win out. In 2011, the U.S. Surgeon General Regina Benjamin issued a call to action to support breastfeeding, requesting that employers support mothers who needed to feed their babies. Also, clinical studies started to reveal problems with infant formula. All right, so there's the history behind infant formula. But before actually getting to some examples of infant formula and their ingredients, I want to address some of the key issues about why infant formulas have been criticized and lambasted in the last few decades. Although infant formula companies have been steadily improving the products over the years to make them more and more similar to breast milk, that goal in reality is unachievable. Simply put, one animal's milk is not equivalent to another animal's milk. So cow's milk, however it's modified, can never equal human breast milk. Cow's milk is designed to rapidly grow a calf into a thousand pound animal in 15 months time. Obviously, a calf has different needs than a newborn human child. Also, we humans are the only animal that regularly consumes another mammal's breast milk, not only at infancy and into toddlerhood, but later into adolescence and adulthood in the many forms that milk comes in. How does human breast milk differ from cow's milk? Human milk is unique and specific for human infants. It contains over 400 components that provide an active immunity and protection from disease. Breast milk contains living cells, hormones, active enzymes, antibodies, and essential fatty acids such as DHA and ARA that support brain development which is vital since the brain of an infant grows 175% in the first year. Infant formula companies started adding DHA and ARA in 2002, but as we'll see later, these supplements may cause problems. Human milk contains cholesterol, an essential structural component of all animal cell membranes. It provides basic components for manufacturing nerve tissue. Cholesterol is not an ingredient in infant formulas. The milk protein in infant formula is different than that found in human milk. As regards to digestion, it is far harder on infant tummies, bowels, and kidneys and can give rise to intestinal distress. Lactoferrin is a chemical essential for intestinal health. It inhibits the growth of iron-dependent bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract and therefore promotes good intestinal flora. It is also essential for the development of the immune system. Lactoferrin is abundant in breast milk. The highest concentrations occur in colostrum milk, which is the milk produced in the first few days of life. Most formulas don't include lactoferrin. Some formulas provide cow's milk lactoferrin, But bovine lactoferrin amounts to only a small quantity of what is available in human milk, roughly one-thirtieth the amount found in breast milk. 
The absence of lactoferrin results in a weakened immune system and an unhealthy gut flora. Immunoglobulin A, also just simply called IgA, is an antibody that plays a critical role in mucosal immunity. These antibodies work in concert with other defense proteins like lactoferrin to protect, protect the infant from viruses and bacteria, specifically environmental antigens that the baby, mom, and family are exposed to. It also helps to protect against E. coli, allergies, and asthma. Breast milk naturally contains the full range of immunoglobulins that protect against infection. Levels are highest in milk in the first year of nursing. Infant formula, by contrast, does not contain immunoglobulins. To mimic the effect of immunoglobulins, prebiotics are added to formula, which are carbohydrates that resist digestion by human enzymes. The intentional stress placed on the baby's stomach then stimulates the growth and activity of beneficial bacteria in the GI tract. It provides a fraction of the benefits of natural IgA found in human milk while stressing the GI tract to do so. Are there adverse medical conditions resulting from bottle-fed babies? Yes. The allergic reaction called atopy has a genetic origin. It can express as eczema, asthma, and food allergies. In the last 15 years, the prevalence of this condition has increased steadily in children 1 to 5 years of age with asthma reactions, accounting for 50% of all emergency hospital visits. Breast milk is believed to modulate an infant's immune system to minimize atopy in those babies who breastfeed for at least 15 weeks. Then there's diabetes. Evidence suggests that a short duration of breastfeeding and an early introduction of cow's milk may trigger pancreatic beta cell autoimmunity, resulting in type 1 diabetes. Additionally, breastfeeding reduces the incidence of childhood obesity, which may prevent type 2 diabetes. Evidence suggests that breastfeeding may prevent the development of childhood obesity because breast milk is not calorie-dense like formula and does not increase insulin levels for digestion like formula does. The longer the breastfeeding period, the greater was the protection against obesity in adolescence. There are a number of physicians who nowadays warn against the use of infant formula for routine feeding and only advise its use in emergency situations. One physician is Dr. John McDougall. He is an American internist who, early in his career, discovered that the drug regimen that most doctors adhered to was not helping many of his patients. He began to explore the role of healthy lifestyle practices to prevent the onset and proliferation of disease. He created the McDougall plan as an alternative to conventional treatments of disease. Here is what Dr. McDougall has to say about infant formula. The first thing I'm going to do when I become Surgeon General, well, you didn't know I was a candidate. Yeah, I'm a candidate for Surgeon General. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to outlaw infant formula. Well, at least you can, can get it only by prescription. That's right. You've got to go 
to the doctor like you would for some narcotic and you got to beg the doctor for a prescription to get in from formula. It won't be sold over the counters in drugstores and supermarkets anymore. This is a drug that makes children sick and ruins families. That's correct. Formula. If you formula feed your baby, what happens is the baby has uh, somewhere between two and four times the risk of sudden death, sudden infant death syndrome. That's not uh, that, that's a tragedy for too many families. If you uh, bottle feed your baby, the baby has 60 times the risk of getting pneumococcal pneumonia in the first three months of life from bottle feeding. That's right. It has 12 times the risk of hospitalization if you bottle feed the baby. Baby will have more difficulty with speech, uh, more difficulty with emotional and mental development, and more risk of having diseases as a child, which carries on to later in life. Bottle-fed babies, when they become adults, have more heart disease, more cancer, more obesity. So breastfeeding is absolutely crucial. You want to do everything you can to make sure that your babies are breastfed. If you have a hint of problems, you get a lactation consultant, like somebody from La Leche League. You call your local hospital, get yourself some information on how to get this necessary help. Get these people involved in your family so that you can continue this life-saving process of breastfeeding. The food comes at a perfect temperature. It's always clean, always comforting, and is free. That's right, from the breast. Why would you not do that? That's the most important advice I can give young families as far as starting out on the right foot. I'm Dr. John McDougall. Certainly, uh, Dr. McDougall is no fan of infant formula. Okay. Let's get to the ingredients in formula. At my local grocery store, I saw multiple products from nine companies, including non-GMO, organic, and a store brand. Given the limitation of time, I'm just going to examine the products of one brand, Enfamil, made by the Mead Johnson Nutrition Company. Enfamil has been around a long time, since the late 1950s, so they are pretty representative of infant formula products. The company name came from its founder, Mead Johnson, who is one of the founders of the mega company Johnson & Johnson. They made one of the first commercial infant formulas in 1910, which was clinically approved and recommended by doctors. As companies tend to do in modern times, uh, Mead Johnson has gotten eaten by bigger fish several times. In 1968, it was taken over by Bristol Myers, who spun it off as a public company in 2009 while retaining a majority of the stock. This year, they were bought out by Reckitt Benckiser, a British multinational consumer goods firm. Think Airborne, Airwick, Calgon, and Lysol. Today, Mead Johnson remains a division of that company. There are a bunch of Enfamil products available for both regular and special dietary needs, but I'm just going to look at the main products for newborns and infants. Here is the short list. There's premium newborn infant formula powder for 0 to 3 months infants. It goes for $29 for 22 ounces. Premium infant formula powder for 0 to 12 month babies goes for $27 for 22 ounces. Enfagro Premium Toddler Transitions Infant and Toddler Formula Powder. That's for infants 9 to 18 months. It goes for $19 for 20 ounces. And finally, there's Inspire Infant Formula 
our closest to breast milk ever powder. Uh, and it's for 0 to 12 month babies. And it goes for $40 for 21 ounces. I made a list of all the ingredients of these products in a spreadsheet for easy comparison. It turns out that the first two products have the same ingredients, just different proportions of them. The third product for toddlers has just a few differences. The fourth product, Inspire, which is the most expensive, is also a little different than the first two. Taking a look at the newborn infant formula, the, there are 43 ingredients, but the vast majority of these ingredients, 35 of them in fact, are vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients. Here are the main ingredients listed at the top of the ingredients label. There's non-fat or skim milk, lactose, vegetable oil, and whey protein concentrate. Next, coming in at under 2% by weight, are galacto-oligosaccharides, polydextrose, mortarella alpina oil, and cryptocotinium coney oil. Every component in this formula is a processed ingredient, some more processed than those others. Each vitamin and mineral is manufactured in a factory, including processes such as synthesis, extraction, purification, and other procedures. Formula is really the right word to use for this unnatural product since it's a precise combination of chemicals to approximate the nutrient requirements of an infant. The first ingredient, non-fat milk, is the closest thing to a natural product in the formula since it just involves centrifuging milk to remove fat. But the other ingredients are highly processed. The second ingredient, lactose, also called milk sugar, and it's the sweetener in milk, is obtained from whey, the cheap waste product from cheese making, by crystallizing it out using alcohol. The third ingredient, vegetable oil, comes from oil containing plants such as palm, coconut, soy, or sunflower seeds. All of those oils go through a complicated refining process where a hazardous solvent such as hexane is used to extract the oil. Then the solvent is stripped off and the oil is purified. More expensive and higher quality oils go through less intensive process called cold pressing, but those types of oil are not used in the infamil products. The fourth ingredient is whey protein concentrate also obtained from cheese making, and it too is highly processed. The fifth ingredient is galacto-oligosaccharides and is obviously a mixture. These chemicals are related to lactose and are produced by enzyme reactions. Galacto-oligosaccharides are classified as prebiotics, defined as non-digestible food ingredients that beneficially affect the host by stimulating the growth and or activity of beneficial bacteria in the colon. They also help the immune system, assist in the absorption and synthesis of vitamins, and relieve symptoms related to constipation. But again, note that these chemicals are not natural, but synthesized in a factory. The sixth ingredient is polydextrose. This is the ingredient of the day. 
As an industrial chemist, I worked with this substance, so I know a few things about it. It's one of the most industrialized ingredients in the processed food industry. Think of polydextrose as a strange form of starch, but a, a material which is able to dissolve in water. Starch is a substance composed of very long chains of glucose, also known as dextrose units. Glucose and dextrose are just names for the same thing. Plants are able to synthesize starch by linking glucose units together using natural enzymes. On the other hand, polydextrose is made synthetically by linking glucose units together using concentrated acid, high temperature, and high pressure in a machine. The resulting linkages are random, so the body is unable to break down polydextrose like it can starch. That makes polydextrose pass through the body like a fiber. For that reason, it's classified as a prebiotic. Unbelievably, this is what is fed to newborns. The seventh and eighth ingredients are a mouthful and, and difficult to say, as you, as you heard me say them earlier. Uh, they're mortarella alpina oil and cryptocodinium conii oil. These oils are sources for the essential fatty acids, ARA, which is arachidonic acid, and DHA, docosahexaenoic acid. Wonderful chemical names that babies need in order to develop healthy brains and nervous systems. It took a little digging to find out where these substances come from. Try to stay with me on this. The ARA is produced by the common soil fungus called Mortarella alpine. The fungus is grown in a fermentation process, then the oil is extracted into a solvent like hexane, then the oil is isolated and purified. Now don't be grossed out by the use of fungus uh, to obtain a food ingredient. It's really commonplace in the food industry. Did you know that most of the citric acid you see on food labels was obtained from a fungus? DHA is produced by the marine microalgae called Cryptocodinium conii. I had to say that again. It, it too is derived from a fermentation process. As for the rest of the ingredients in the infant formulas, as I said earlier, they include minerals to provide calcium, potassium, magnesium, etc., or vitamins like thiamine or riboflavin or, or substances to help grow healthy cells, such as uh, leflecin or nucleotides, the building blocks of DNA. So I'm not going to say anything about those substances other than to repeat that every one of them comes out of a factory. The Emphamil toddler formula has slight differences in ingredients where they leave out or add in some ingredients, but for the most part, the ingredient list is pretty similar. However, in the toddler formula, one of the major ingredients is corn syrup solids, another sugar source and calorie booster. Of course, corn syrup solids show up in many commercial candy bars and other sweets, so this ingredient prepares the toddler for the highly processed foods that they will most likely be eating later in life. That leaves the last Infamil product that I'm going to talk about, the Inspire Infant Formula, the most expensive one, and which is supposed to be the closest to mother's milk. How does it differ from the cheaper ones? There are just a couple of ingredient additions. First, 
there is whey protein lipid concentrate. Now, according to the Enfamil website, this substance supports the formation of milk fat globule membrane, also called MFGM for short, which is found in human breast milk and helps support infant brain development. The second additional ingredient is lactoferrin, which I mentioned earlier, also found in human breast milk. This substance is a protein that supports a healthy gut and immune system. Have you noticed anything missing from the descriptions of infant formula so far? Notice that none of the food ingredients are organic. That means that infants can possibly be consuming toxic contaminants from herbicides and pesticides used in the production of the crops from which the food ingredients come. Not good. Those are hidden ingredients that won't show up anywhere in a product description. Any parent giving their baby infant formula should consider an organic product to minimize potential toxin ingestion. To my knowledge, none of the Infamil products come in organic form. One company that does make organic formula is called Earth's Best, which sells their product for $26 for a 23-ounce can, a price which is very competitive with the company selling non-organic products. Remember that if you buy organic, you also know that the ingredients are not made from genetically modified plants. Another plus, since those ingredients have only been around since the 1990s. One last comment about infant formula ingredients. It's interesting to note that we could be drinking similar products just after birth to right before death. Many people in their final days are fed a synthetic product called Ensure, which is marketed to be a complete nutrition supplement to fill the gaps and balance the diet. It has 45 ingredients, including non-fat milk, sugar, vegetable oil, milk protein concentrate, and a laundry list of minerals and vitamins. Sound familiar? Unfortunately, it also contains uh, some highly processed artificial sweeteners, gums, flavorings, and dyes. Starting out with Enfamil and ending with Ensure would represent the processed food equivalent to the cycle of life. Well, that's it for this show. Since it's running a little long, I'm not going to include the usual features like the new product or uh, processed food newscast. Uh, they'll return in the next episode. I sincerely hope you learned a few things about the pros and cons behind infant formulas. As a chemist, I really marvel at the vast array of chemicals in infant formula, but should it be fed to a tiny human being just trying to make it? It looks like to me breast is best, but if an infant can't be given nature's own for whatever reason, then infant formula is an obvious alternative, but definitely consider providing the highest quality organic product so the wee little human will get the best start in life. I know that I didn't mention this earlier, but there are organizations and commercial enterprises that sell human breast milk, the modern equivalent to wet nursing. So that is an alternative, although typically expensive, uh, to using infant formula, which really should be a last resort. I also didn't mention that many soy alternatives for infant formula are available for those babies who are allergic or intolerant of cow's milk. To all you food eaters out there, thanks for tuning in. 
If you could leave a review, good or bad, at the iTunes store, I would greatly appreciate it. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or by googling Food Labels Revealed. And of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet wherever podcasts are found. Also, if you have a question or a comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast, feel free to drop me a line at food labels revealed, that's all one phrase, at gmail.com. Food labels revealed at gmail.com. And lastly, if you think your family, friends, or associates might be interested in this podcast, tweet or post a link to it through your social media outlets. Until next time, if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. To switch things up a bit, here's a new outro music piece composed by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>